Hi, my name is Clifton. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> yeah, a lot of you stuck around, by God. <laughs> it's a long day, but we'll do it, men. Uh, it's ten minutes to nine. For those of you who like to watch, you know. Son of a bitch, still talking? Uh, uh, I, I, I've heard almost all the other speakers and dearly love all the other speakers that I'm going to be hearing this weekend. It's kind of nice to get to go almost first, you know, then you can judge them the rest of the weekend. Uh, <laughs> But I just I know I know them all and love them all and I'm really looking forward. I've never heard Don ever, and it was a powerful, powerful talk. Uh, not like any I don't think I'd ever heard before. Uh, there was a great uh, John the Indian who was a, I think one of the great speakers of all time, um, but it was pretty much just a story. And uh, but anyway, it was uh, real powerful, and I kind of hate to follow him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now here's the little fat school teacher that drank too much. Yeah. Uh, boy, I can hardly wait. You know. <laughs> uh, my day started in Oceanside uh, at 3 a.m. and uh, I hope I can stay awake through my talk. <laughs> It would be funny if you were talking to <laughs> Had an interesting day. Got to the airport and uh, standing in line, waiting to get my ticket for the pick up my boarding pass, and realized that I had left my wallet at home <laughs> with all my worldly possessions in that wallet. And uh, luckily, I had my passport with me, so I got here. You know, I had a picture to show. But I suffered in Chicago and I walked by the all the food stands. <laughs> I was going to try the story out, but what the hell? Never mind. Uh, I'm very, very happy to be part of this. I love this area. Uh, the last time I was here, I, I came into the airport and went out feet first in an ambulance and spent four days in some saint's hospital. Luke? Yeah. Thank Worst bunch of quacks I ever ran across in my goddamn life. Any of them here? Uh, no, you took real good care of me. I almost died, but you took really good care of me. And uh, you know, there's a, there's a guy who lives in Vancouver now. Uh, he used to he was brought up in the L.A. area, and he said many times that uh, people call AA their family, and. Uh, he said, AA's not his family, it's his tribe. And when Don was talking about it, I kept thinking about that tonight. Because I think that's true in my case, too. i got a great family. Uh, I don't need another one. i got plenty of them. Uh, <laughs> but AA really is my tribe, where I learned to live here. I learned the rules here. Oh, and by the way, I, we don't do this here. Dick, I'll get this in. Uh, because of a vicious and loving sponsor. And... Uh, the steps of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I have not been drunk since the 13th of January, 1970. Right. In, in, in California, we like to kind of save it for later and then 
lower it on you at the proper moment. And you just kill the whole thing now. Uh, but uh, I was uh, very much unlike Don in terms of uh, uh, low bottom, high bottom, and that nonsense, uh, although we are all one. Uh, I love the theme, uh, especially tying with the whole thing with the lifeboat. And isn't it funny, you know, that it doesn't take, you don't have to be sober very long and you start getting in quibbles in the lifeboat. You know, you're not rowing right. Uh, I want to sit up front. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> well, and I was delegate in 1970-something, and uh, the first year I was delegate, uh, the, the delegates and the trustees and the people in the general service, we just had this war going on in the in the conference. It was just a bloody war. I enjoyed it. And uh, <laughs> and at lunchtime on Wednesday, Lois, Bill Wilson's wife, came over from the Al-Anon uh, conference, and she said, uh, boy, they're having a lot of trouble over that Al-Anon conference. I know that's not like that over here. <laughs> she said, over there, they've got into this uh, of thinking that there's them and us. <laughs> She says, there is no them. There's only us. Of course, we all went. <laughs> and we settled down, and the war was over. And I thought of that tonight. Uh, anytime we get in problems today, it's because we somehow get thinking there's them and us. And there isn't. There isn't with Alan Hunt either. There's no them in Alabama. I've been up too long and weeping already for crisis. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I love to drink. I just love everything about it. Uh, I love the taste of booze. Do you ever hear these weenies get up here? I never cared for the taste of alcohol. <laughs> I just want to say, would you care for the taste of these? <laughs> oh, I love it. I like sour mash bourbon whiskey the best. <laughs> but scotch is good. Hey, hey, don't knock scotch. I l and rum, I love rum. <laughs> I like it all. Vanilla extract, I'm not real crazy about vanilla extract. <laughs> but if that's what you're drinking, hey, all right, let's go. You, know. <laughs> you have to admit it has bouquet. <laughs> And uh, I was raised in an alcoholic family. Imagine that. Uh, everybody in my family is dead from alcoholism. I'm the only one alive because I came to the A&A, &A, you know. And it's, you know, in the last 15 years, if you can read, you understand that alcoholism has a genetic tendency. <laughs> and uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was watching. Did you see that where this gal has this kind of... Rare form of uh, Alzheimer's, it's Alzheimer's-like, but it isn't. And she's going to die very young because of this, it's a gene. And they went into her baby in her stomach and removed the gene. Now, there's a big hubble, you're not supposed to do that, it's going against God, you know. But I, I was just fascinated. I was watching the probe go in there on television. I wonder if they could do that with the alcoholic gene. <laughs> Ought to be able to find it easily, huh? Little blue gene down at the end of the chromosome going, hey, 
Mm. Only has one thing to say. One more, baby, one more. You know? You know the big book says they haven't found the cure yet, but perhaps science someday will. Maybe they will. Uh, I'm not going to volunteer to have it removed, though, because I'd rather stay here. My buddy at home says, well, he'd have it done, but he'd join Alan on. (laughs) But I don't want to drink like them anyway, do you? Oh, social drinkers. You know, you take the cap off, you go, they say, I'll get it. (laughs) What the hell's that all about? Oh, and my Alan, she's a real drinker. (laughs) Not. I always call her my Alan, you know how they introduce us. Have you met my alcoholic? Sit up, boy, sit up, sit up. Tell them how long you've been sober. She got a thousand stories about her drinking. The last one was a couple months ago. Sometimes she has a whole glass of some kind of white wine. (laughs) I had that for breakfast, maybe, but, you know... uh, but anyway, she was sipping on this wine as she was wont to do, sip, 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 sip. I remember when my buddy Kenny was due, I brought him over to the house, we were going to go to Los Angeles, and we were talking. Kenny was an old friend, so she usually doesn't drink around newcomers, but she wasn't paying attention. She had this glass of red wine, and then she's sipping and talking and sipping. Pretty soon, Kenny drops out of the conversation. <laughs> he finally says, You want to drink the goddamn thing or not? <laughs> And she was especially cruel that night. And she says, no, I think I'll save the rest for tomorrow. I drove to L.A. and never said a word. But a couple months ago, she has a glass of white wine, and she goes in the kitchen and gets the bottle out and pours it back in the bottle. I said, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever seen. She said, oh, shut up. So I'm not going to be able to help her much. She's been a a good member of Al-Anon for uh, two months less than I've been in AA, so we can't have help by now. And we've been married 52 years. (laughs) That'll prove prove Al-Anon works right there. As I said, I don't drink like them. I'm, all, all through my youth, I was a real uh, kamikaze drinker, I used to call it. Uh, you know, I get to a certain point, I'm at a party, and I'm wearing lampshades and dancing and singing. Everybody says, oh, isn't he cute? Isn't he cute? Isn't he cute? And I was. I was darling. And, uh, and then I would get to the, the, that drink. Remember that drink? I used to say, was it the seventh? Was it the ninth? Was it the fourth? What drink was it? But I always knew it when I got to it. I would pick it up and my mind would say, this is the one, Cliff. You drink this one, you're going to do tricks. <laughs> and, and guess what I said? Well, well, well. <laughs> and then I would have the subsequent drinks and at some point it would just be 
Birdseye! And I would run them up. And I would commit felonies, and I would hurt people, and I would wreck cars, and attack policemen, and bite bartenders in the face. And oh, I had a lot of fun. A lot of nights I talk about having fun. <laughs> the only people in the world know what I'm talking about. You, you said anywhere else in the world, they go, you know. But in an AA meeting, you say, fun. And all their eyes glaze over. We all go, yeah. <laughs> Little slobber runs out of Because you're the only people who know what I mean, you know. Fun. Getting beaten to a pope and go to jail. You know? Fun. You're finding your car at the bottom of a ravine in the morning. Remember that? With you in it. Fun. Almost died of it, didn't you? I just came that close to dying of fun. <laughs> I just have, you know, even that last stinking, horrible, rotten couple years. Oh, remember that last couple years? We don't want to remember that last couple years, do we? You get up every morning and call Ralph. Ralph. <laughs> we had a speaker Thursday night at home. Boy, he was rhapsodic about puking. I never saw anybody so charged up about puking. Uh, like our speaker tomorrow, he had his jaw wired shut one time and drank. And... <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I'd just be so sick, and I'd swear that not today, I'm not going to drink today. You know, and I'd finally, get, you know, I'd eat breakfast. My old man told me if you eat breakfast, you go to work, you're not an alcoholic. <laughs> Never said a word about puking breakfast back up again. <laughs> You know, I'd go in and go to work and do the job. And I was working for this jerk who was out to get me, and he'd get me. He'd, he'd get me all day. He'd get me. And I'd go home, and I was married to her. <laughs> the pre Alanon Grimace. <laughs> you married guys, you remember that? Huh? Don't you think you had a few too many? <laughs> you had a few too few, that's your goddamn problem. <laughs> Have a couple and loosen up, baby, for God's sakes. You know? Oh, and mine was a counter. Was yours? Oh, one of the great counters. That's your fifth one today. <laughs> Just shut up and eat your breakfast, will you? Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know I'd get through it and I'd come home and I was married to her and I had these long haired doping children through the house and uh, oh life was really bad you remember that? remember bad 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 and I'd go in the bedroom and get out that pistol always had a pistol mm -hmm. just going to check and see if the barrel was still cold <laughs> then Sandy had come by then, just about then, and say, Hey, Cliff, let's go have some fun. <laughs> and I'd say, oh! 
And if you're new, that's called alcoholism. <laughs> Unable to recall was sufficient for us the tragedy of the night before. And uh, all my life, I was a crazy, madcap drinker, fighter, liked to fight, was just a terrible fighter, but loved it better than anything. And uh, wrecked, all that car wrecks, all the nonsense. Met my wife in college. Uh, she was down on Skid Row looking for an alcoholic to abuse her. And uh, <laughs> we entered this 20-year suicide pact together. And, and we had that dreaded dual disease, you know, uh, alcoholism and Catholicism. <laughs> and uh, consequently, we had a kid every nine months and 20 minutes. What it seemed like to me, you know. Every time I come out of a blackout, <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> and they're all right when they're little like kittens. You know, but, but they grew. And the older they got, the weirder they got, and God knows the weirder she got, and I was the head nut. After a number of years, this may surprise you, I became a teacher. <laughs> that always breaks me up, you know what I mean? A guy that commits felonies and blackouts, you know what I mean? Just a hobby, what the hell. Uh, I became a teacher, and uh, in 1961, my wife and our family, we moved to Oceanside, California, which is about 30 miles north of San Diego. Uh, right on the Blue Pacific there. Great, beautiful place to live. And I got a job at Old Oceanside High School when I was teaching there and right away became a surfer. Uh, I'm a surfer dude, baby. Uh, never was a very good one, but nobody loved it more. I still love surfing. Sometimes when I talk, I talk about, I have skin cancer. I'm allergic to the sun. and that, There's an allergy for you. The sun never helped me dance, but what the hell. Uh, I would get up, you know, before dawn. I'd go out and surf for like an hour and a half, two hours. As soon as the sun started getting hot, I went home. I controlled my surfing. <laughs> Didn't need a book for that either. Uh, but anyway, uh, this other guy and I got this surfboard shop down on the beach in the summertime. Another surfer dude and I. We were going to give surf lessons and rent surfboards and fix her. Never have to work again. <laughs> School teaching. And the mayor of the town gave us this building right on the beach. Right on the water. The end of the strand there. The building had been all vandalized. But we fixed it. You know. We painted and put windows in. And we got a refrigerator. <laughs> some months later we got some surfboards too. And... Uh, Oh, we love Can you imagine for a couple of budding drunks, had these chaise lounge chairs, sit there in the evening and watch sunsets? People come down in the evening and say, I'd like to rent a surfboard. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> we used to measure the sunsets by martinis. I used to mix them. It looks like about an eight tonight. <laughs> you know, Best one we ever had was a 15 martini sunset. You should have seen it. It was glorious. <laughs> and the sun and Woody and I went right together. <laughs> mm. 
They found us in the morning with sunburned mouths. You remember that? <laughs> I think that ought to be on the 20 questions. You ever have a sunburned mouth? No, get the hell out of here. You're not ready yet. <laughs> but I went down in February of 1965 to repair a board. Uh, of course, we were open then. It was freezing cold, and I just went down to fix this surfboard on a Sunday morning. And I had a hangover. Real? Yes. Uh, on Sunday morning, can you imagine? <coughs> and I was really thirsty. <laughs> and uh, I went to the refrigerator to see if there was something to drink in there. And uh, I was looking for a Coke or something. I wasn't, it wasn't a morning drinker at that time. And Woody had been there the night before, and he left about this much vodka in a half-pint bottle. And then there was some orange juice in the refrigerator. And I thought, hey, that would put the fire out, you know. And so I mixed up this little dinky drink and drank it and went on about my business. And I was sanding on the surfboard there. That little bit of vodka, the half of a shot maybe, went circulating throughout my body. You know. Then it went. <laughs> and my mind talked to me. It said, shame on you, Cliff. Shame, shame, shame. That was Woody's booze you drank. Why don't you go up to the liquor store and get old Woody a pint? That's the kind of guy I am. Yeah. That afternoon, I got Woody a fifth. <laughs> you know, and I just ended up, Bory, I drunk my old man used to call it, crawled home on my hands and knees, just sicker than a dog in a Next morning, I got up and said, i got to do something about my drinking. I, I'm getting drunk when I don't even mean to. And my Al-Anon, uh, pre-Al-Anon, he had a facial tick by that time. Uh, she had cut this little thing out of the paper about the A&A. &A. I, I don't know why she thought to do that, do you? And said what it's always said. If you want to drink, that's your business. If you want to quit, call Alcoholics Anonymous. Perfect. Only ad we've ever had, the only ad we'll ever need. We're not a treatment center. We're not a do-gooder society. We're not an evangelical process. We're not even very nice people. <laughs> <laughs> but by God, if you want to quit drinking, we'll go to the end of the earth for you because we have to to stay alive ourselves. You know what I mean? We're all paddling the lifeboat because we have to in order to stay alive. So if you're new here tonight and you think you might want, maybe you want to stop drinking, <coughs> we'll, we'll be sure you quit. <laughs> <laughs> but if you would rather drink, have at it, pal. Have at it. There goes one now. Who, said, who says I'm not an effective speaker? I'm, man, I lost just one. That ain't bad. I lost as many as 17 in one night like that. And so then I called the A&A &A in 65, that was, 1965. And uh, old Stan came out and got me and took me to some meetings. In the meetings in those days, there were maybe eight people tops at a meeting, maybe 14 meetings in the whole area. 
and I realized right away I had been hasty. <laughs> uh, I had made a serious error in judgment here. Uh, these people were not bright. Uh, now, I have to tell you, I'm highly educated. I have many degrees, you know. My late sponsor, Bill, said he's been educated far beyond his intelligence. Uh, <laughs> And but these guys, they were. I tried to help them. Uh, about the third night, this guy said, "Hey, we keep it simple here." I said, "No, you sure could have fooled me, Leroy." <laughs> And, uh, so I, I, hung, I didn't drink for five months. Almost caught on fire, I got so dry. <laughs> and just hated everything about the very few meetings I went through. You just, it just, they kept saying things were simple. I don't like simple. I don't like simple people. I don't like simple music. I don't like simple, I don't like simple anything. Especially simple people. And so after five months, I went out and drank again, which just destroyed them all. <laughs> Cliff who? Uh, and for the next five years, I'm in and out of AA, mostly out. I would come to AA for 40 days, and then I would be drunk for two years. Then I'd come for 30 days, and I'd be drunk for a year and a half. And when I was here, I was a smirker, you know, like the ones with the paper slippers you go see in the institutions. You know, they're, they're locked up there with paper slippers and they're smirking at me. I always think, well, that's funny. I'm going home. Uh, but I, you know, I was a loser's loser. Let's just put it that way. I was an overeducated, pompous ass loser. And I never want to forget that. that I, if they ever have a loser's Hall of Fame, I'll have a bust right by the door. In and out. And, and of course, my situation deteriorated. Uh, I stopped being the big party guys. I've been drinking every day. I had to drink every day in order to survive. See, I almost died of alcoholism because I'm a functioning alcoholic. <laughs> you know, the, the experts, whoever the hell they are, uh, I think they all live in Fresno. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the experts say that 95 to 97% of us that die of the disease of alcoholism, that become dead from alcoholism are people like me, functioning alcoholics. And I would guess most of you in that room, in this room, if you're like most rooms in AA, fall into that category. People get up every day and go to work and do the job and do it better than you. Do it better than anybody. I got to do ten times more than you to prove I'm half as good. If you identify with that, you're in trouble. You're in the right place, though. I'm a goer and a doer and an achiever, a functioning alcoholic. My buddy Holmes says a functioning alcoholic is one whose wife works. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't tell that one now, not me either. <laughs> and uh, the week I came to Alcoholics Anonymous this time, in case there's new people here, you know... I carried a picture in my head all my life of this skid row whining on a bench, dying of alcoholism. That's the picture I carried. It almost killed me all my life. 
Uh, maybe there's some new people here tonight, young people who think you have to have to be a skid row wino down on the streets. The week I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I weighed 163 pounds, had 4% body fat. I used to surf for like three hours and then get out and run five miles. I could bench press 285. Took me 25 minutes to pass a mirror. <laughs> For God's sake, don't ask me for directions. I say, it's right over. <laughs> I was in shape. Ah, my liver was gone, but what the hell? You can't have everything. I was one of the top three debate coaches in the United States. <laughs> That's like being one of the top three prostitutes in Oco, Nevada. Uh, <laughs> But among speech coaches, it's a big deal. I became a top speech coach by accident. The <coughs> principal called me in one day. I was teaching a speech class, and he said, uh, he got this flyer in the mail. He said, about this debate tournament they were having down there at San Diego State College, just 30 miles down the road. He said, why don't you uh, get some kids from your speech class and go to that? I bet you they'd get a lot out of it. I was in big trouble with him, so I said, oh, what a good idea. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, I found about six dodos and wanted to give it a go. We go down 30 miles down the road, and there's another teacher over there. I call him a dodo. That bothered him. Uh, they get upset about that. Kids call him all kinds of things. But, uh, but anyway, we get down there. We were amazed when we got to this debate tournament. There were like 50 schools participating. It was a big deal. There were like 500 contestants. All the boys were in three-piece suits with vests and ties. The girls were in these lovely business suits and wore Levi's and sweatshirts. What the hell do we know? And they killed us. We didn't win a round. I mean, they slaughtered us. They grabbed us in the dust, what they did. <laughs> I'm kind of jerk you are, but I don't care for losing. <laughs> and I'm steamed anyway, and I went to the coach's room, and he's like that corner over there, about 25 of the coaches. They've been doing this for years. They're pals, they're buddies, and they snubbed me. It seemed to me. So I hung around all day. They said, W longer that way. And uh, one guy there really pissed me off. He had a lot of hair. That bothered me right away. <laughs> oh, gorgeous hair. Steel gray, you know. Took nine barbers to get it right. Beautiful steel gray hair. Thousand dollar suit. The other coaches did this when they went in front of him. And uh... About two in the afternoon, this guy turns to me and says, uh, Where are you from? <laughs> God, I was grateful that somebody had spoken to me. I said, uh, Oceanside. He said, oh, where's that? 30 miles up the road, where's that? I don't know what kind of drunk you are, but he gave me a resentment. And I didn't forget that guy for the next four or five years. I thought about him every day. <laughs> and I went back to Oceanside High, and I built a speech team. Almost killed me, but I built a juggernaut speech team is what I did. I built this powerhouse speech team. You ever see the clown cars where they keep getting out? That's the way the bus was when we arrived. The other teachers, oh, God, it's all I just, 7 in the morning till 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, I'm in their faces screaming and yelling, I'm coaching, baby! And I don't eat all day. That's better that way, huh? 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 Yeah. 
drink 400 cups of coffee, huh? And stay pissed off. <laughs> Screaming and yelling and ranting and raving. The guy next door to me says, I'd love to watch them leave in your room wiping the spit off their glasses. <laughs> Reporter said to my captain, what's the secret of your coach's success? The kid said, terror. <laughs> she wasn't lying. She's the chairman of the speech department uh, and the chancellor of women's studies at San Francisco State College. Now, didn't do her any harm. A few bruises on her butt. What the hell? They healed up. I felt so sorry for Bobby Knight. You know, he gets fired for choking one guy, for God's sake. <laughs> and it was a guy. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I built this speech team, and then every night when I'd finish with that team at 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, I'd go out and get in the car and get that half a pint of hot vodka that was waiting there for me all day. I don't drink all day. I'm a functioning alcoholic. I just have to know the vodka's in the glove compartment waiting for me, calling to me all day. Go get them, Cliff, baby. I'm waiting, darling. <laughs> and I get in the car, and I open up that cheap vodka, and I take a half the bottle and smoke my cigar and think about what a terrific coach I was. <laughs> then I finish the bottle and go home. In the last seven or eight or nine years of my drinking, I drank every night at home. And I'm a violent drunk, real, real violent drunk and a sarcastic, mean, critical, angry man. And I got drunk at night every night at home. And uh, we lived in a zoo. Our house was a madhouse. Everybody in that house was crazy. Everybody in that house was crazy. Three of my kids were in high school at the time, the late 60s. <laughs> <laughs> the oldest son is working his way through high school as a hashish salesman. Uh, <laughs> never had to give him any spending money, I'll guarantee you. I used to hit him up for a fifth about once a week. Yeah, Dad, but you know, he had hair down to his butt, you know, his head went like this all the time. Called his mother, man. Hey, man, what's for dinner? <laughs> oh. He loved LSD. Oh. They see things, those guys. Some of you remember, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I'd be right in the middle of the sentence. He'd say, what was that? <laughs> what's the shape I'm in? I'd say, I don't know what. What's it where? What is it? My drunken mother-in-law lived with us, and she would explain it to us, you know. <laughs> we used to listen to the explanation. That's the part that blows me away. To do it. <laughs> and it was just a zoo. It was a madhouse. It was a zoo. Uh, whenever they read Chapter 5, I always do a little thing in my head. I always say, no human power could have relieved my family. <laughs> but God could and would if he were sought. And we sought God through Alcoholics Anonymous, and through Al-Anon. I'll put my family against any family in the world today. Of course, all my kids are grown, they're all middle-aged people, but they're fine people. They're terrific people. They're educated, busy, productive, useful people. Three of them are sober, the, the three that need to be. 
Uh, and one is a real active member of Al-Anon for many, many years. And the other one, the youngest one, Mary, the baby, uh, she just grew up straight in a crooked family. <laughs> you can't explain some people. You know. She's always just been fine. <laughs> she comes to everybody's cakes. Good night. <laughs> so, uh, but it's a result of Alcoholics Anonymous and Al-Anon. And I would say the thrust from, from our family, the power of the Al-Anon program had more to do with the eventual health of all of our children, even more than AA. I just kept my nose clean and stayed sober and did the job, you know. But then we were all crazy. But I built the speech team. And after a couple of years, we won one of those speech tournaments. But I didn't say anything to the gray-haired guy. It wasn't time yet. We know when it's time. <laughs> we know. We know. And uh, the next year, there were 12 tournaments. We won them all. We took first place in all 12 tournaments. I can wait. <laughs> I think revenge is better than Christmas. <laughs> the next year, there was a tournament where 25 schools competing in the tournament. And my team scored more sweepstakes points than the other 24 schools combined. Then I went up to the gray-haired guy <laughs> and I put my nose right against his and I said, do you know where Oceanside is? Now? <laughs> He just looked blank. He said, what are you talking about? I said, don't you remember about four or five years ago, you said to me, Oceanside, where's that? And he said, we just moved here from Nebraska. I didn't know where it was. The <laughs> story of my life. Four or five years, this guy's in his bed every night in San Diego. <laughs> I'm up at Oceanside. I'll get you. You're dead. <laughs> My Alan, we were on the freeway one day, and some guy comes over eight lanes to cut me off. You know what I mean. I said, you're sick. He came all the way over there, and he came over there. She said, they all got up this morning and said, let's go on the freeway and get Cliff. <laughs> I hate it when they're accurate and cruel, don't you? <laughs> but uh, right after that, my wife and I had one of our main events, which the neighbors have come to miss so much. <laughs> our neighbors never got television until after I got sober. They didn't need it, you know what I mean? <laughs> we were the entertainment for the neighborhood, weren't you? Yeah. They all had those Venetian blind marks on their forehead, you know, from the West <laughs> And we had this big beef, and I moved out. Everybody, I, said, I remember I said, I'm moving out. And everybody said, yeah, <laughs> woo go for it, Dad. And uh, I'm living down at the beach where I'd wanted to live anyway. I'd finally gotten rid of her and those long-haired, dope-fiend children. I was going to drink like a gentleman again, but it didn't work out, as you are probably amazed. You know, I was drunk all the time. I was missing work, which I'd never done. My life was slipping between my fingers. I went by the house one afternoon and haranguing my wife about money. And the hashy salesman was kind of bobbing in the background there. And I, 
I said uh, something really stupid as I look back. I said, uh, Dave, what's it like not to have your old man around the house? And oh, <laughs> he looked me right in the eye and he said, it's beautiful. And I didn't know it for several hours, but that was my bottom. That's as far as I'm going. I lost the respect of a 16-year-old kid. And when I got back to that dump on the beach and quit ranting and raving and sniveling and whining and went out and sat and watched the most beautiful sunset that I ever saw, I realized that I had given up my own self-respect a long time before David. That I had given up everything about myself that I'd ever respected for the privilege of drinking booze. And uh, I went in the bedroom and I uh, dug out the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. The second edition they're selling for high big money now, huh? <laughs> Good, I've got three of them. Uh, and I, uh, I had read the book in one of my travels through the program before. And being an English teacher, I thought it was very poorly written. <laughs> read a lot better this time. Uh, if you do... I read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I read it cover to cover. I read all the stories. I read the appendix in the back. I read it for three days and three nights. I called in sick. I didn't go to work. I ate a little bit. I slept less. I read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous over and over and over. And in the second edition, there was a story called The Professor and the Paradox. And he saved my life. He was another egotistical school teacher. And he saved my life. And on the third time through the book, on the 13th of January, 1970, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I was on page 63 again. And if you're new on page 63, there's a little prayer. And the little prayer is step 3. I always called it the formal terms of surrender. <laughs> and I knelt down on that filthy linoleum floor on that dump of the beach, and I read that prayer out loud to myself. I read, God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as you will. Relieve me of the bondage of self. When I was new, I looked up the word bondage. It means slavery. Relieve me of the bondage of self. And Don earlier was talking about being here and the universe going around me. I built a prison before I was four years old, and that's where I lived. A little prison right in here. I guess I built to keep you out. I don't know what the hell and why. But all I know is that I built that kept me, and I was a prisoner in there, and I was lost. Because the only thing that counted in life was cliff. And the program of Alcoholics Anonymous now for 32 years has been trying to teach me to get out of cliff. To get involved in your life. To sponsor guys. To love other people. Uh... And that night I uh, went over to Bill Blake's house. This is the other thing I always tell. He was a little wino, former wino there in Oceanside Electrician, been sober eight years, a little wiry step Nazi. <laughs> and I knocked on his door, and I'm a five year loser. I've been a loser, in and out, smirking, overeducated jerk loser. And Margie, Bill's wife, opened the door. Margie just died. This last year, I get to hold her when she died. Excuse me. Anyway, Margie opens the door, 
Here he is. <laughs> Loser. <laughs> I have never seen anyone so glad to see me in my life. Can you imagine? I mean, she like lit up. Oh, Cliff. Like I was the Pope or something. You know? <laughs> Snatches me in the house, gives me a cup of coffee. She said, oh, this is wonderful. She said, Bill's been crazy lately. He's had nobody to work with. Oh, this is so good. <laughs> and then Bill comes in and says, Cliff. Ah! You know, about a half an hour, I'm thinking, anything else I do to help you folks out? I... What the hell? I'll help him where I can. <laughs> Cliff's here. We can start AA now. <laughs> but you know, three weeks later, I was in a meeting of newcomers, and one of the other newcomers said, what do you mean this is a selfish program? And when the guy asked the question, I knew the answer. I found it the night I got here. They couldn't have fooled me. I was too sick. They were glad for me. They'd been praying for me for five years. But they knew the great secret. You can't have it unless you give it away. You can't keep it unless you give it away. They knew that better than anybody I've ever known. My sponsor gave, gave it away better than any human being I ever saw. And uh, so I knew when that guy asked the question. So it's been relatively easy for me to do whatever I have to do. Now. I'm just doing it for myself anyway. If, if you get saved too, what the hell? It doesn't do any harm. <laughs> get in and paddle. Let's go. You know? And uh, by the way, that was the last nice thing Bill ever said to me. Uh, uh, Don had the same, their sponsors must have been related. <laughs> I think the nicest thing he said the first five years was, shut up. I told him, I have degrees, you know. He said, so does a thermometer. You know, they stick that sometimes. Don't you? <laughs> I thought the first step was, shut up and get in the car. <laughs> no. Now, after 32 years of sobriety, I'm going to find that the first step is, shut up and get in the car. As I treat him just the way he treated me, I'll tell you for sure. He used to say, if we want anything from you, we'll point at you. <laughs> in the meantime, you're in the back seat on the hump. <laughs> hey, that'll make a 12-stepper out of you. Hey, you'll go get your newcomer when you're riding the hump. You get the new guy, ah, you're in the middle. <laughs> oh. Shut up, he used to say, shut up. Uh, and you know, whatever was wrong in my life, whatever, and I had horrible things wrong. I mean, I owed a billion dollars and I didn't have a brass razzoo. And all these kids on drugs and this woman wouldn't go to Al-Anon with a bad mouth. And they were going to foreclose on my, you know, typical things. And uh, I would go to my sponsor's house and pound on the door. And he would answer the door and I'd say, you know what they're doing now, Bill? Come in, sit down, Cliff. Then I'd tell him the whole dreary story, weeping. <laughs> and he would listen. <laughs> Never interrupted, just let me run down finally. <laughs> and he would say, Why don't you go get Al and take him to the meeting? 
about? <laughs> what has that got to do with... But remember that morning I surrendered on my knees with the third step prayer. I gave it up. I gave up my own opinion. So I would go get Al, whom I despised. <laughs> he was a bigger loser than me. He was a ten-year loser. I was only a five-year loser. He had no driver's license, of course. And he was a big blowhard. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'd drive him to the meeting. We'd set the meeting up, make the coffee. Everybody come to me, everybody go home. We'd set the meeting down, wash the coffee pots. You know, had real cups in those days. And he had to wash. He was so shaky. He just put his hands in the water. <laughs> But I could dry, shit, you know. Uh, you have to obey somebody when you're new. Uh, put old Alan car, drive him home. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'd let Al off. And I'd start driving home by myself. And this feeling would come over me. Oh, God, it felt good. It used to scare me. It felt, of course, it only lasted 40 seconds, you know, so... I thought it was because I got rid of Al. (laughs) But that sponsor made me stand and greet people at the door like those wonderful people were doing tonight. He made me uh, go on all these 12-step calls with him. Every 12-step call he went on, we used to get a lot of them in those days, too. And he made me uh, look for the newcomers. He made me talk to the wall talkers. They don't have those anymore. They they have a place for them now. We used to have guys that sat in the back row and talked to the wall. You know, they drank just three weeks too long. Mm. <laughs> you remember them? <laughs> and as soon as the meeting was over, he'd say, Go talk to the wall talker. <laughs> and I'd go back there and say, How are you now? Huh? I'd go, ah, I can get it. Yeah, good night. <laughs> Whatever was wrong in my life, the man may be taking action that has seemed to make no sense at all to what was wrong with me. But the feeling kept coming. You know what the feeling is? After all these years, I can tell you exactly what it is. It's the feeling of being enough without chemical help. And... uh and that just kept growing, that feeling of being enough, of being a part of, of being a, a member. And Al got drunk once more. He had uh, almost a year, just 11 months and 14 days or something. And who did he call? Me. And I went, and he was sobbing. He was just destroyed this time. And I was holding his hand. I said, hey, we'll go to a meeting tonight, Al. We'll start over. It's one day at a time, that's all. What do you tell a guy? You know, get cleaned up, get a shower, we'll go go to the meeting tonight. And then suddenly out of my mouth I said, I love you, Al. And I don't know if Al even heard me, but I heard me. And I knew it was true. I knew I wanted Al to be sober as much as I wanted to be sober myself. And if you're new here tonight, that's how I feel about you. That's how everybody in this room feels about you. This is the greatest cure for alcoholism the world has ever known because the giver and the receiver receive equally uh, and so uh, Al got sober he's still sober today he has uh, what do I have 32 he has 31 30 he's still a blowhard but he's uh, uh, <laughs> he's the guru of Santa Maria 
and, and still my oldest friend in the program. And, uh, you know, I just kept taking these actions, doing these things. One night, I look at my watch and fake you out like I really give a damn. Uh, <laughs> it hasn't worked in five years. <laughs> I was sober uh, almost two years. I'd, I'd read the book at least six times. And I was about three in the morning. I couldn't sleep but none. I was reading the big book. And I got to the bottom of page uh, 62, top of page 63. And I saw the promises. Almost two years sober. I had read the book six times at least. Because I know how many times I had to read it. <laughs> uh, and I had never seen the promises before. And I know why now. I couldn't see them before because it was only then they had started to come true in my life. And I read them. I'm going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. I will comprehend the word serenity and I will know peace. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave me. I'll handle situations that used to baffle me like life. <laughs> promise after promise. Stupendous, spectacular, uh, unbelievable promises. Then it said, are these extravagant promises? <laughs> are these extravagant promises? It broke me up. I screamed, yelled, fall off. <laughs> My wife came up, what the hell is the matter with you? They're the most extreme promises. A person like me can't live a life like that. See, if you knew, you think you're coming you think it's about not drinking. But sure, you can't drink. That's a rule. But go and read those promises. That's what this, this program's about. That's what it is. You know, I will comprehend the word serenity. There's a phrase for you, huh? Compre I always thought serenity was some kind of a hot flash thing. You know, God reached down, you know. Serenity is walking around every day in my own skin comfortably. That's what serenity is. That's what I come to find what serenity is. My favorite line in the whole book is, that feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. Oh, I love that line. Because Bill was a grammarian. He knew it's supposed to read these feelings of uselessness and self-pity. But they're the same feeling, aren't they? That feeling of uselessness and self-pity. Look at the losers. Take a look at the losers. They're always trying to escape from some kind of responsibility. <laughs> They're always trying to beat their way out of this thing without doing anything. Because see, in the middle of the promises, tells me how to obtain the promises. No matter how far down the scale it's going, I'll see how my experience can benefit others. Here it comes. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We'll lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in my fellows. Then it says, self-seeking will slip away. I'm waiting for that. Uh, <laughs> our whole, then our whole attitude in life will change. You know, Mother Teresa was in our area a, number, a few a number of years ago. She had a heart attack uh, just a few years before she died. And a couple of the AA doctors took care of her, were AA friends of mine, cardiologists. And they said, you know, she really was a spiritual, you, know, you couldn't be in the room with her and not know that she was a spiritual giant. 
and uh, they just they just adored her. You know, they were sorry she got well enough to go home. You know, uh, they got a lot more out of her than she did. But some reporter asked her, and she said this thing that she used a lot in her life, and I saw it in the paper, and I carried it until it disintegrated. She said, "The fruit of faith is love, and the fruit of love is service, and the fruit of service." is peace. I will comprehend the word serenity and I will know peace. And the fruit of service is peace. Uh, I told you about my family. My The hashy salesman was the last to get sober. Uh, <laughs> my youngest son has 13 years and my middle daughter has 11 or 12. No, she has two now. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> But she's doing great. She's wonderful. And uh, I got to go up to Oregon a couple of weeks ago and, and give my oldest son, Dave, the hashy salesman. He's the vice president of an international corporation. He's a functioning alcoholic. Uh, I got to give him his one-year cake. And he's doing great. He's working the steps, and he's in the middle of this program. And uh, last Christmas, we all got together. I wish you could have seen that family. All the grandkids growing up in a family without drunkenness. I don't get anything else, maybe. But to see my grandkids growing up straight in a family that's loving and with no drunkenness and no violence, it's really great. They think I'm hot stuff. <laughs> my youngest one is teaching me how to use the computer. He's 10. <laughs> if you're new here tonight, you, you know, you hear these stories, you don't have to believe that all these wonderful things that happen in my life are going to happen to you. You don't have to believe it. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it could happen to me. I believed it happened to Bill. And so that knowledge that Bill did it allowed me to, to keep continuing one day I saw that I could do it. You don't have to believe that it happened. it's going to happen to you. You do have to believe, however, that it happened to me. That a sick, neurotic, crazy, selfish, angry human being Today lives just like that book promised me. Happy, almost every day, happy and joyous and free. And that's how I live. And I hope you do too.